It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. He's a coach, he's a broadcaster, he's Drew Remenda, and you're listening to The Drew Remenda Show. Welcome everybody to the Sharks Audio Network. Drew Remenda, Ted Ramey here, talking some Sharks hockey and everything going on around the league. Uh, probably gonna do this, Ted, what, like once a month we're gonna just at least go around the league and see what's going on. Yeah, we're First gonna... off, hi. Hi. <laughs> I like your haircut, Drew. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Who said something to me the other day? Oh, Al McGinnis. Oh, so I was in St. Louis and uh, standing with Darren Pang. Uh, everybody knows Darren Pang. Darren and I, very similar looking. Uh, and you know why? So Al McGinnis comes out. We're all, all the broadcasters standing there talking. And Al comes out. And I've known Al McGinnis since the Calgary days back in the late 80s. And he comes by and he says, he goes, hey, couldn't tell which one apart. I went, you know, he said, I would expect more from a Hall of Famer that to come up with the same old joke that everybody uses. <laughs> so everybody says that I always tell I always tell the story. I told the story to Mark Messier. Then, even though Robert De Niro told me never drop names. Um, <laughs> we had Mark Messier in my radio program, our radio program here in Saskatchewan. And Mark doesn't remember it, but but this happened. I'm assistant coach with the Sharks in 19. I think it was our third year. It was our second. Or th- it was our third year because he's in he's in New York. And for some reason, the morning skate, the Rangers are practicing at Madison Square Garden. The morning mm-hmm. skate usually they practice out in Rye, New York. And um, you know, Mark's in New York. That's the year they're going to win the Cup. It's our third year, and we're going to make the playoffs and everything else. And I haven't still. I don't know how long it took you. But I haven't, I haven't still yet embraced my my male pattern baldness. Okay, <laughs> I would, I would, I was sporting what they at that time we would term a scullet, uh, not a mullet. So I'm standing there watching the uh, by the boards, watching the Rangers practice, and Mark comes off the ice, and he, I don't know Mark Messier from a hole in the ground at that point. Okay, he doesn't know me. I don't know him. And he comes off the ice and I, I went, Mark. And he goes, hey, coach. Oh, yeah. And he goes, shave that thing. <laughs> what? He goes, looks ridiculous. And I'm, uh, uh, oh, oh, okay. And he walks away. <laughs> so, like, I'm kind of stunned, right? Um, we go to practice, everything else. I'm walking back to the hotel. Walked by a barber shop in downtown Manhattan. And I said, okay. So I walk in. Girl says to me, girl says to me, what'd you like? And I said, take it down to the wood. And she goes, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. So years later, now he's he's in Vancouver now, Mark. And he's not playing in the game. I'm broadcasting now. He's not playing in the game. And we're going up the elevator together to the press box. Just happenstance. And I don't remember who's in the elevator with us. I wish I could. 
But the guy says, hey. And I, and I looked over and I said, well, he's the inspiration why. And I told the story. Okay. And Mark goes, I don't remember that. He goes, doesn't sound like me. And the guy goes, that sounds exactly. Like, that sounds exactly <laughs> like Mark Messier would say. I was about to say, that's the most Mark Messier story I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so we were in the, we had him on the radio show and I, I, I told the story again and he started laughing. He goes, geez, I wish I remembered that because I want to put that in the book. <laughs> I well, said, I was going to say, that means he might have so many one-liners like that. He probably doesn't remember how many times he's ripping them off. He said, but he said, you know, his book's on leadership. So he, so it would be like, well, that's true leadership. You, you got to tell people sometimes the hard truths when it comes to leadership. <laughs> how many times did you have to do that? How many times did you have to tell somebody something that was really, you know, obviously that's more good natured, but where you have to tell a, you know, a kid or even a veteran, like, Hey, you're, you're not doing this well. Cause that, I know that we think that every athlete is so used to criticism. I don't think that's true at all. You're You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's one of the things that athletes have a hard time hearing. Everyone does. Well, yeah, exactly. The one thing that I had, the, the story that when I'm with the sharks, I was an assistant coach and I was a player's coach. You know, I was a guy who, you know, Dean Everson and I talked about this the other day, Dean, who was an original San Jose shark mm -hmm. and one of my favorite people on the planet doing a great job in Minnesota. I knew he would. He, uh, we were talking the other day about the, the beginnings of the sharks. And he said, what was one of the interesting things is that you talking to me as a coach, he said, you, weren't like other coaches. You came in and talked to us. You came in and, you know, you came, we went golfing together. You, mm -hmm. you came to my kid's birthday party and, you know, Doug Wilson, Kelly Kissio, Dean Emerson, and I played golf together all the time. Um, and he said, that was different back then. Coaches didn't do that, but I was, I was 29. I was, I was, you know, a little bit older than those guys, but not much. Yeah. But so a lot of the heavy criticism stuff didn't come on me until later when Kevin came into coaching and I was now three years in the league. And so Kevin would, Kevin was great at giving us responsibility as coaches. So you had, you had to go talk to certain guys and Kevin would make you, if you backed a guy on his, like, I think this guy should be on the power play, or I think this guy should be on the penalty or I think this guy should be with that line. Mm -hmm. He should be playing more minutes. It was up to you to get that guy to that level that you thought he should be at. And so in those conversations, they became pretty interesting. Like Ray Whitney was a guy who was the easiest guy in the world to coach because you just had to tell Ray what you thought. Yeah. And then he'd go try to stick it up your rear end. He really would. He'd get <laughs> mad. He would get ticked off at you for telling him. To the point where we thought we had, we were onto something. We thought we were really brilliant. You know, coaches, we all think we're really smart. So we thought we were onto something. So all you had to do is when Ray was, you know, lacking a little production, go in there and give him a little jab, right? And Ray's not a dumb guy. Ray's a, was one of the smartest players I've ever been around. And, and very, you know, he's in, he knows what's going on. He's in tune with us. And he, he knows what coaches are all about. And so he um, <laughs> it was, I, it was like a little stretch. 
he's playing with Lariana from Makarov. And Kevin goes, go give Ray a little shot. Get him going. So I go in the dressing room and I had wits. Like, come on, man. Said, yeah, I'm the guy that, that vouched for you to get you on this, this line. Come on, let's get going. So you're, you're, come on. And I give him a little shot here. And he'd go out and he'd play a couple, you know, he'd get a great, get a goal or get an assist or really just be in, just right in the game. And uh, about the third game in a row when I tried it again, he just turned and looked at me and went, off JD. You think I'm JD because James Drew. I go off JD. I know exactly what you're doing. I got this. Go away. <laughs> so, but other guys were when you when you had to tell guys the truth, it was really hard. I mean, coaches, we do a terrible job, or we did a terrible job of when we sat a guy out, mm-hmm. give him a reason why. We really didn't have one. We're just making change for the sake of change, unless the guy was terrible. Yeah. But Igor Larionov was probably the one of the best guys I ever came across like you didn't really coach Igor or Sergey Makarov yeah he really didn't but Igor would come ask you he, he had a great relationship with Kevin he would come ask Kevin what do you think here what do you think there was more of a conversation nowadays you talk to coaches it's 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 more of a conversation back and forth with players like from where coaches were where we used to tell you go do this. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now coaches are, and players demand this. They want to know why. Like, why do you want me to do that? Well, cause I friggin' said so. That's why. No, won't go. Players are smarter, more sophisticated and more skilled. So, you know, I talked to a lot of coaches and get them on the radio show. And we, we went through a whole thing where I talked to just coaches about coaching. And it's really interesting when you talk to coaches about coaching where their minds are now as compared to, you know, we just hear a lot about what coaches have been doing since, you know, like abuse since the Bill Peters thing mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. And now how coaches, and maybe that was a reckoning that changed things and how coaches think now, but we talk to the majority of coaches, they're, they're really in tune with talking to their players, even at the younger levels. Mark Habscheid, former NHL or former NHL coach, who now coaches in Prince Albert, coaches Ozzy Weisblatt in Prince Albert in the WHL with the, with the Prince Albert Raiders. Had him on my radio show, and I've known Mark for a long time. And I said, what's the difference in coaching now versus coaching then? And he said, the players have to know you believe in them. They have to know you care about them. And you, they have to know that you want just the best for them and you will you will go to the ends making sure they get the best from you and he had a saying and i hope i get it right here is that the players have to know how much you care before they care about how much you know and i wow that's really good i'm i'm a i'm a junkie for all those sayings mm-hmm. like a junkie for all those trent yanni former Sharks assistant coach and now with Todd McClellan in LA, he's got to say that he coaches players the way he wishes he was coached when he was a player. So you got to show the players you care about them. You got to show the players that we're doing this for a reason. This is why. And you show them video. You bring them in and you show them the video. 
This is why we're doing this. Look, when, when you do it this way, look what happens. Mm-hmm. And so with that, it's a different relationship now. It's a, it's a cooperative, we're in this together. And it's not, it's not BS. One of the biggest things players can pick up is how full of crap you are. <laughs> They're really good at it. You know, their instincts are great that way. Well, it's interesting if you watch the way that coaches in all sports talk about athletes today, the phrase that's really come in and, you know, you'll hear a coach say he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. And that, I feel like that expression didn't used to be there. And now there's more of an acknowledgement of across all sports, whether it's a hot shooter in the NBA or whether it's a quarterback who's having a great day, they'll, it starts in the NBA, but they use it never the sports. They'll say, Oh, it's a heat check. Cause he knows yeah. he's on fire. Like, that's a very delicate balance with athletes because you, if you take anything away from that confidence, it's like people will say, well, why doesn't he just pull the goalie? It's like, because you don't want to screw with what's been a good thing. He might, the goals might not be in his favor tonight. You might be down five to nothing, but there could only be one of those that's technically on a goalie. And your war, it's like, when do you pull him? When, when is the point where his confidence gets screwed versus him feeling he can redeem himself as you get later into a game? I mean, a goalie is an obvious example, but this happens to all sport, all athletes in all sports. I'm, 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 I'm with you. Confidence is the funny thing though. You know, Trenyani has another great saying, and I love this saying, but it's not it, it, when it comes to confidence, you don't lose your confidence. You choose to give it away. And Trent and I have had this talk back and forth. And when a guy goes through bad thing, he goes, yeah, but you've got to remember, and Evgeny Nabokov talks about this all the time. You've got to remember what got you here. Mm-hmm. Go back to that guy. But as you suggest, you don't know if I pull a goalie now, what he'll be thinking after that. Will he be like James Reimer and go, I'm good. Bounce back. No problem. Aiden Hill, same thing. When we talk about mental toughness or mental strength or, or confidence, it is one of the funniest, most fragile as you said bits of an athlete that maybe is one of the most important well not maybe but is one of the most important parts of an athlete i love guys who are brash i love guys who have that walk Mm -hmm. i love guys who yep i'm gonna go do this you're not gonna be able to stop me but hey you're welcome to try I love fighters. I mean, I, you know, I'm big in, into boxing. I'm big into MMA. I, I love fighters. And you can tell a guy who's confident by his swagger, by the way he just carries himself. Mm-hmm. And you can, guy who, you can tell a guy who's using that pseudo confidence, that talking and all that walking and doing the stuff that fighters do as a mask. Because yeah. he, he don't got it. um but when i when i look at the nhl yeah brent burns to me is a is a great example of confidence with that swagger but brent to me is a better player when you just leave him alone when you don't overcoach him i think bob's done a really good job i think peter DeBoer did a good job before that Bob did a good, has done a really good job after that. Brent is a type of guy that is, he's not uncoachable because he is, he has changed his game. We, we talked about that. 
you know, about like a month ago, mm-hmm. how I think it was your words that he's really matured in his game. I, I agree with you. He's way more in control than he was before. He doesn't gamble as much. Exactly. Doesn't gamble as much. And when he does, he really weighs the risk and reward. I, I'm compiling video on him right now on all the little things he does. And hopefully, you know, it would have to be now I'm at the point where it's going to be a one hour Brent Bird special on, you know, with Brody and I and talking about all the things <laughs> he does. But when Brent was getting coached a lot, when he was getting um, brought in to look at video when he younger, Brent Burns, like six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. He didn't react as well. He, he took it as criticism, not coaching. And it's, and it's a lot of it has probably do in the way it's delivered but he took it as criticism and not coaching. But if you back off a guy like Brent Burns, let him just do what he does, take the risk with the reward. He's going to do some things that are just wow. And then some things you're going to go, I really wish he wouldn't have tried to make that pass there. And then he goes on to, to be like literally every game started the game. It's been so much fun watching him. I didn't, you know, I, I probably didn't appreciate him my first go round as a broadcaster, as much as I do now, it's after seeing him every day and you're just amazed at it, but he is a guy who's got that, that swagger and that confidence. And that's why I think Bob does a great job. Just I'm not touching it, but I'll, I'll counter that with, you're talking about Brent Burns, one of the premier defensemen of his generation. What do you do when it's a fourth line guy or a yeah. guy you're fighting for time on the ice and I mean, you where there. I mean, there's so many players we've seen where we say there's so much potential, and some guys make that turn and they fight their way up onto the third line and they keep on progressing. Yeah. Where other guys, it's it's back and forth, and sometimes they play that great game, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. If if I walk in the dressing room on practice day, and the ice is ready, and he's still in the room, I'm walking by him going, "What are you doing here?" Why aren't you out there? Yeah. And I'm working. Nobody becomes great without work. Nobody becomes a star without putting the work in. Nobody becomes great at what they do without the work. We always see the guy at the top. We see Kevin Hart filling stadiums and doing his stand-up comedy. Yeah. We, don't, we don't see Kevin Hart when he was opening at male uh, strip clubs getting chicken wings thrown at him. That's a true story, by the way. It's a hilarious story. Go in the Graham Norton highlights and you can see it. But we don't see that. Mm-hmm. We, we, see, we see fighters get to the top. And we see that. We don't see them fighting in you know, clubs in a pretty put together octagon, building their way up. We never see, we never see, or we never pay attention to the rise. And all great players have to work at it. We don't look at Tom Brady now and look at him when he was at the combine doing the slowest 40 you've ever seen in your life. That, that shot of him with his shirt off. Yeah. Brady. Come on, man. But now we look at him now. Tom Brady's great. Yeah. He got there by being great. It was Monday night football the other day. They're talking about Brady. And he said that, and by the way, watch man in the arena. It's so good. Yeah. I need, I need to, I've been told it's Oh, good. But I'm, I'm again, I'm a sucker for those things too. Just show me, show me how you got here. So he, the work that he puts in 
not the physical work. Physical work is there. The mental work he puts in, the hours, the days, the months of putting in time, understanding his role and everybody else and what they do. Go back, Joe Pavelski, Patrick Marlowe, Joe Thornton, Brent Burns. Yeah. Who's the first? You talk about Brent Burns. He's the best player on the team, arguably. You can go Logan and go through whatever you want to talk about. On the ice every day, first, every day, first guy, every yeah. day. And so I would, I would take the young guy who's the third or fourth line guy. Get here. I'm going to show you something. Look, he's out there already. What 10 minutes could do for you? And if I'm assistant coach, I'm like, okay, I'm getting my stuff on early. Come on, we're going. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. That's my job, right? My job as a coach is to try to make the other guys better. You know, coaches, trust me, they got a lot on their plate. They're watching video. They're there, at, you know, seven in the morning or six in the morning, and they're watching the video. But 10 minutes, I'm taking this young guy out, and we're going to work on some stuff. And, you know, we're not – we're not working on stops and starts or anything like that. We're working on getting body position, getting your nose over the puck, all those little detailed things that coaches look for in a fourth line guy. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going, okay, let's, where do we think we're, and you have this talk with your general manager, you have this talk with your scouts, where do we see this guy? When he reaches his full potential, where do we see this guy? Well, we think he's going to be a good third liner, maybe a second liner. Okay. And I'm going to work on some of those things. Yeah. My job as a coach is to help them realize that their, their potential that's, that's as assistant coach, especially that's your job. Yes. To help your head coach with all the video and all that other stuff you have to do. But my other job is to go out in the ice with the guys, stay out in the ice with the guys and help them realize their potential. Some guys, they will, some guys, they won't. But when it comes to the attitude, I think you can help adjust that a little bit, push that a little bit. And we talk about confidence. That's how we give them confidence. Mm -hmm. You don't give them confidence by telling them they're great and wonderful, putting my arm around them. There was a study the other day that I read because I, you know, my got a granddaughter now and um, our daughter said to us, you know, there was a study that she read that said that you're not supposed to tell your kids, you know, good job way to go pat them on the back for doing what they're supposed to do i looked at her and went yeah i've been doing that your whole life with you and you complained about it you wanted you wanted to get a parade for putting the putting this dishes in the dishwasher i said so yeah you don't praise them for everything you don't and, and coaching is like raising kids it really is it's the same type of dynamic it's the same type of thought process when there is behavior to be changed you changed it when i was a kid your parents changed your behavior by kicking the crap out of you <laughs> slap across the head and sometimes in my my house more than one at that time we thought that was the way to go then it became you just yelled at your kids or grounded them now it's it's a conversation it is it is showing them why and then moving them forward. It is pushing them the right direction. But you do it through being strong, being consistent, and then showing them the right way and why the right way is going to work for them in the wrong run. That's what you do with players as well. So I think if I'm going to be able to grow kids' confidence on my team, I've got to be willing to put the effort in 
like you want them to put the effort in. Well, it goes back to your point of the, the players wanting the coach to believe in them before they're going yeah. to, you know, take everything that they said to heart. But when you, I feel like when you give a player confidence, you're, if you develop, like there's off, there's often a skill set where there's a deficiency where they're getting defeated. That's why they're either fighting for ice time on the fourth line. I don't mean that in any negative because if you're a fourth line guy in the NHL, you're incredible. Like let I'll put that out there, but there still might be deficiencies in the game. So I mean, are you correcting something to where you're saying, all right, like here's your positioning or here, or here's where you're receiving the puck or here's how you're defending the puck. And I feel like if you take care of those little things, then you find the next broader thing. And it's got, I don't think people, I think people think it's like, okay, well work on your conditioning or hit the weight room. But it's like, it's often such these little minute things where you have to put that consistency in to where it becomes, again, Connor McDavid's, he's had two incredible goals this year that are two of the yeah. all-time greats. But like that didn't, that was subconscious. That was just what he did in the moment. He wasn't thinking yeah. about it. That's what his body knew to do. That didn't happen from nowhere. Right? Like that didn't just happen. That's the result of a lifetime of doing the little things right. He is watching him every day for six years, five years, whatever, how many years I was there. Maybe it just seemed like six. Um, again, one of the first guys out, one of the last guys off. Coaches had to tell Connor to get off the ice. <laughs> they really did. He, he is an incredibly, incredibly hardworking and focused, detailed kid. But you're right. He didn't just get there. He 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 put the effort in, and the work that he he puts in just obviously augments already an incredible skill level. But when with players, the detail, like you talk about, I went this year, Mike Babcock, Detroit Red Wings, Stanley Cup winning coach, Toronto Maple Leafs, we know Mike, and two gold medals, only triple gold coach in the world, world championship, Olympic championship, Stanley Cup. He's also got a hockey championship and Mike and I have known each other for a long time since we were kids and he's coaching here this year at the University of Saskatchewan mm -hmm. just literally it's a 20 minute walk from my house um so this year I said to him I gave him a call in, in the summer I said hey I just want to just and I didn't even know what I, if I was coming back to the Sharks or anything I just said to him listen when you start watching video do you mind if I come and he goes no of course not I said yep I said August 17th, we're going to start. Call me then. Okay, great. So I call Mike and go in and sit with him and his coaching staff when we watch video. And he had taken, uh, he recorded all the playoff games. Mm -hmm. And we start breaking down the playoff games. He's got, you know, the computer system and everything else. And watching how he, how he breaks things down and the things that he's highlighting, the things he's going to show his players when they come back this year, you know, to... They don't know Mike Babcock, but they know it's Mike Babcock, right? So, Better. <laughs> yeah. So, on a side note, I come home after the first couple of days, and my son Donovan goes, "How was that?" And I said, "Son, I've been lying to people. I've been lying to people now for thirty years because I don't know a thing about hockey. <laughs> after sitting with Mike, breaking it down like he does, but the stuff they break down, the detail in which." you see a Victor Hedman mm -hmm. play and put in his game or a Kucherov or Braden Point. 
you go, holy mackerel. And it's those little things. It's getting inside position. You know who's really good at it? Logan Couture. Mm-hmm. Logan Couture, he's got so much detail in his game. But getting inside and getting it in body position is so important. There's a play the other day um, in the Carolina game. I don't remember who it might have been Kokaniemi. I can't remember who it was. And anyway, it was late in the game, playing the in the zone, uh, shark zone in the corner. Brent Burns is battling for a puck, and he's got massive obviously body size difference in his advantage and it's it's a battle 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 and then he just gets body position and mm-hmm. it's it's over it's absolutely over those little things have just taken one step and turning your your rear end you know <laughs> putting your your ass on his hands takes everything away yeah. it's little things like that that make the difference between puck possession and a breakout or you're still battling in your zone and maybe they get the puck and they get a scoring chance it's those things that make a player go from good to great. It's, it's those things that go from a fourth line guy and you're right. Fourth line guys are the best hockey player you've ever been up against in your life. You know, back in the summers, way back when I actually could still skate and my knees weren't so freaking bad and <laughs> old age hasn't struck me like it has. Um, you know, you go play hockey with some of the guys and, they come back to Saskatoon. It's embarrassing. Like it's, it's, it's absolutely embarrassing. It's like, what? <laughs> they chirp at you. So like always, they chirp at you. Like Joey Kosher, back way back when, you know, Kosh, who was a terrific, tough guy, but a fourth line guy, right? One of the best hockey players you've ever seen. Yeah. So the fourth line guys are great. But how do I make that guy a third line guy? And it's like you said, it's details. I got to go to work on the details, but what details? And it's, you got to look at the video. You got to look at the game. Where do we lack? Mm-hmm. Where are we good? Let's strengthen those strengths and really improve those weaknesses. So where where are the Sharks lacking right now? Because like we were talking just before we started recording, I don't know which Sharks team is going to show up on the ice. I mean, they here's the thing. They've beaten really good teams this year, whether it's been Calgary, whether yeah. it's been Carolina. Yep. Whether it's been Toronto and people say, well, yep. Toronto wasn't what they were, you know, at that point. I, I don't care. You play the games on the schedule. The yeah. roster is there. <laughs> we're you supposed to wait till they were better? Yeah, right? Yeah. No, you beat them. And that's, you know, I, and obviously the Sharks' schedule up to this point has been kind of inconsistent because they haven't you know, played too many interdivision games. But I just, I don't know which team is out there. And even the game against the Capitals, it wasn't like it was a bad team oh. or a bad game or anything. They just, you know, there's an Ovechkin out there. He's he's a problem. Yeah. By, by the way, he's a guy. Not he's not aging, which is frightening. Isn't it he's scary? The, he's doing the Tom Brady thing, but I've seen him in person now enough times. And I, the eye test, I love metrics, but I'm an eye test guy. Me too. Ovechkin was not as active on the ice, but I felt like he picked his moments a lot better. And then it really doesn't matter when he receives that puck outside the left circle because. He scored that goal hundreds of times. Yeah. He knows how to beat you. But when he picked his moments, he was everywhere all over the ice. He's just maybe a little bit smarter with his energy usage. That's the only thing I've noticed about him. But look at his point total. He's out of his mind right now. Yeah, it's, yeah he's crazy. And I, when you look at him, I, I thought that, that Wayne's record was unbreakable. I don't think so anymore. 
Yeah. I think he will go down the way he's scoring at his age. And like you said, not slowing down, conserves his energy, but doesn't conserve his energy to the point where he's a dog. No, there. not at all. Um, I think he's going to break it. Yeah. And, and Wayne said, Wayne said it was you know, it'd be great for hockey. It would be, it would be fun to watch that chase, but with the sharks, there's a couple of things. I, I, when I watch the sharks, two things that really stand out to me. And I really love mm-hmm. They work like hell. They work and they compete. Those are two things that I believe are skill sets. And I don't think you can coach them. I don't think you can teach them. It comes from each other. Mm-hmm. It comes from a team. I don't want to let that guy, my teammate down. I don't want to let my line mate down. The guy beside me, and Jamie Baker used to talk about this all the time, that third year team. You know, we started out that season 08 and 1. But once the kind of that ball got, that boulder got pushed to the top of the mountain, they, the guys just took over. They, we didn't really have to coach that much. You know, we thought we were doing a great job. The guys took it over, though. Like Bakes and Larianoff, Makarov and Duchesne and Bobby Airy and Arturs. And you can go on and on and look at those, those, that team. And they took it over because they wanted to compete for each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I see that with the Sharks. I like, I love their compete level. As far as what team, that shouldn't surprise us considering the amount of young guys that they've got going on that team. Yeah. But it's consistency over intensity, right? They, good teams are consistent every single time. I think they lack a little bit, not a little bit, they lack that offensive consistency line to line. Mm-hmm. There's great things. But we didn't think Nick Benino was going to be sitting where Nick Benino was point wise. But there's some he's good probably things. going crazy, by the way. Oh, yeah, he must be like a veteran. Yeah, like, it's here's the test. Well, it doesn't really matter. He's doing these little things. If you say to Nick, Nick, it doesn't really matter. You're doing these little things. Bob Bugner went to them, went to him the other day, and said, "Hey, you're important to this team." This was on the road trip. Mm-hmm. You're important to this team, and this is why you're important to this team. And he talked about what he does on the penalty kill which he's terrific at face-offs, what he is as a leader, where he is on the power play. He does a great job screening on the power play. Mm-hmm. He talked about all these little things and affirmed to, to Nick that he was making a contribution, that he was important to the club. I thought that was brilliant by Bob because he is important to the club. But when you go to a hockey game, my son went and played hockey last night. Donovan's 25 years old. He's just playing in a, he's going to be 25 Friday when he's just playing with his buddies in an adult league, right? Okay. Comes in the door last night. How'd you do? How are you one? What's my next question? My next question is get any goals. <laughs> that right? me. How did you play? Uh, yeah. Yeah. My everybody, nobody goes to the rink thinking to themselves. I just want to just do a great job on face-offs, <laughs> right? Everybody goes to the rink to score. When your kid goes out and plays, how many goals did you get? Did you score? Mm-hmm. Every it's, it's not a bad thing. It's what you're, that's what you do. That's what you ask. And guys go to the rink to score. Nobody goes to the rink thinking, I just want to be plus two tonight. I just want to be even. Tonight. <laughs> I want to block three shots tonight. By the way, one day we're going to get into a, Scott Hannon and I are going to do a shot blocking argument that I'm going to have one of these days. Remind me about that. So, that, that goal, the goal against Carolina, the three guys. Yeah. 
don't get me started sorry i'm sorry i brought it up he's referencing for people listening he's referencing the picture that brody posted if you look at yeah. brody brody brazil's twitter he posted a picture okay who sent him that picture you did yes <laughs> anyway sorry um so but nick benino yeah he'd be going crazy so offensively they drop off after after the second line and yeah. i would doll out they drop off even more so yeah. i think that's where you see the inconsistency as far as the the type of chances or how many chances they'll be able to generate. There's a lot of good things to see, but they're a young team. Um, and the scoring relies on three, maybe four guys. Mm -hmm. And after that, you hope, hope hockey's tough, but they, I think they obviously thought they being management coaches, they obviously thought that was going to be tough. That was going to be the hard thing to do was put the puck in the net, but the, and so I think when you when you start chasing the game, when you can't score or having difficulty scoring, and you, or even generating chances, when you start chasing the game, that's when the, you see an inconsistency of performance. There's another thing that Bob Budner talked about, though. One of the first things he did when he came back from his COVID protocol was he met with Hurdles Line to talk to them about, and then he talked to the team after mm -hmm. about my favorite thing to talk about puck placement giveaways puck management when the sharks put the puck in the right position so if I, we're, we're coming up the ice together and instead of me as you're streaking in and from the blue line instead of me trying to feed it over to you in the middle i chip it into a corner away from the goalie or i go mm -hmm. cross corner away from the goalie that you can arrive with the puck on time or I can self-chip it to myself where I arrive on time. Mm -hmm. I arrive with the puck. Then they get their forecheck going. They're a pretty good forechecking team, and they can yeah. cycle, use the points. Brent Burns leads the league in shots to the net from defensemen over, his, over the last eight years. It's ridiculous. That Then they can get stuff going. Mm -hmm. And that's where we go back to confidence. Because if I keep doing that, and I keep being successful at it, even if I'm successful just getting the puck and getting a forecheck going or keeping the puck in the zone, oh, then I'm going to keep playing that way. Then that team builds that identity. Bob thinks they're there far as far as they understand what their identity is and where they should be and what they should be doing. Now it's a level of we'll execute that. Well, it's, I was going to say, it's interesting to watch though with the puck placement and with the overall puck management and not being careless with the puck is the Sharks have had there there's two outcomes. It seems like there's a convincing win or a convincing loss. And it tells you that things are going one or two, one of two ways for them yeah. over the course of the game. And there was the come from behind win in game one against Winnipeg. You came from behind against Carolina the other night, but they, in both of those games, I didn't have a problem with what led to them being down. You never want to be down, but there's a yeah. difference of being down when you're making mistakes versus the other team is playing very well for a moment of the games, sports, you can do everything right and still end up with the wrong right. result. Yeah. And in both those games, they stuck to their guns, climbed back from a deficit and won. But in other games, it's either a 4-1 over Calgary or 6-2 to the abs. Yeah. And the, the, you know, the abs one was a yeah. bit different. But yeah, but what, what happened in the abs game? What were what were they doing in the abs game? Turnovers at the blue line. Turnovers, turnovers. We used to call them gray area turnovers. Yeah. They're not even gray area turnovers, turnovers <laughs> anymore. That's it. We know exactly what's going to happen if you turn the puck over there. Yeah. And I'll go back to Tampa in the playoffs. Watch how they played. 
They did not turn the puck over. And if they did, if they did, they did it in, in a place where it was not going to come back and, and bite them. So mm-hmm. it's like puck to me, puck management is one of the biggest things that good teams do well. And if you're not doing that, you're not winning, period. And there was going to be some growing. We knew this year was going to be some growing pains. But those, the big thing for me, if they put the puck in the right place, they may not score a lot of goals, but at least they'll have the puck down the other end. They're, the goal that Carolina scored this is what Scotty Hannon and I were talking about when, we, when I was texting back. I'm one of those guys that during a game <laughs> I'm watching, I'll text, like I'll text Randy and Brody and Brett and Scotty Hannon. I'm one of those guys. Michelle, my lovely wife, finally said to me the other night when Scotty and Brody and I were going back and forth on the shot blocking thing. Um, Michelle finally said, would you stop texting people who are working? And there are some, and some of the people who still like you in this world. Jeez, okay, fine. <laughs> but I don't work during the games. You, I, yeah, I work after the games. So feel, yeah, okay. text me by all means. Yeah. Cause I got I do a complete bitch fest when, when there's things I get on the text line a lot, please, by all means. <laughs> I'm a guy who like, that's why you should, you'll never see me on social media. Can you imagine? <laughs> my, well, as I've often told my wife, my best tweets are the one that I never send. <laughs> it's like, Nope. See, I'm going to keep great, that thought to myself. <laughs> I've got a great idea for Twitter and I can't believe nobody has picked this up yet. Okay. You write out your tweet. Okay. And you hit send. And if it's has a level of dumbassery, um, <laughs> Twitter comes back with you and it's a little app or it's, it's, it's there, it's in their algorithms. It comes back to you and says, are you sure you really want to send this? <laughs> you hit yes. It comes back with no, no, no. Read are it you again. Really sure? <laughs> Read it again. And then tell me if you're sure you hit yes. And then the last thing is okay, but don't say I didn't warn you. That's how, that's what Twitter should be. Have those be the three steps you have to go through to post. I don't disagree. <laughs> really? <laughs> I wish my brain worked that way sometimes. I wish all of our brains worked that way sometimes, <laughs> where you just think to yourself, probably should have kept that one inside the brain for a moment. Back, Especially back those in, like you and I, when we work in front of a live microphone sometimes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. There was a time when the Sharks wanted us all on, this is way back when the Sharks, when this all first started, they want us on social media. And I, I, you know, I've told you my stance on social media. I, I think it's poison and poison's fine if you just leave it alone. But as soon as you ingest it, yes. take it off the shelf and ingest it, that's when you get sick. So that's my, that's why. So the sharks kept pushing us, pushing us, the bosses. And finally, and they were like really adamant about us all getting on. And finally, my argument was, and this is a brilliant argument, I thought. When I said to my boss at the time, I said, do you really want me unedited, unfiltered, unsupervised talking to your fans? <laughs> and he looked at me and went, no, I don't. And I went, thank you. And then, there it is. And then as I walked out, he went, savor this. I said, oh, don't worry. I'm going to. I'm going to. <laughs> Well, that seems like as uh, as good a place as any for us to to call it a show. Any any last points on the Sharks right now? Well, like I said, you know what, Ted? I like I like their compete level. I like their I like their willingness. I like the fact that they are they they are all in. 
you know, they're, they're not tiptoeing around. Their try, their want is there. And I would say, and I don't think we get a lot of arguments about that's a very different team than we saw last year. Oh, and two years ago. And two years ago. Their want, their, their willingness, their buy-in is there. So when I look at them, there's a lot of good things as far as their attitude that I think can carry them to a level where you're going to be proud to watch this team. You're going to be proud to cheer for this team. You're going to be happy that, that you're, you're going to be seeing, I think, the start of them getting back to who they used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I do. I think, I think they're on the right track. If, if you look at – here's the last thing. Bill Armstrong from the Coyotes, general manager of the Coyotes. They were talking about this in the summer. The Coyotes, we've seen, we've seen how they've started right? Brought back flashbacks from the old days. So <laughs> when, when you look at the Arizona Coyotes, you say, yeah, they suck. And this is Bill Armstrong said this, he said, but they had a conversation in the summer, their, their whole, their whole staff. And I'm just going to see if I can find it here. They said in the off season, they knew that the moves they were they made or didn't make were going to lead to struggles this year. Mm-hmm. But as he said, you can't be great unless you go through the draft. You can't, it, that's, that's just the way it is. And if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, I was bringing it up here just to, you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, how they were built. Mm-hmm. They were built through the draft. They, they, they were built all through the draft. And you look at their top six players, all drafted and developed by Tampa Bay, all the way back to Brian Lawton. Brian Lawton is a GM, Jay Feaster, Steve Eisman, Patrice Brisebois, they, they were all built with the draft. They had some departures, but it didn't matter because they built it through the draft. Their top guys were built through the draft. And then they made some smart one-year investments. Mm-hmm. And then they made a couple of really good trades. I mean, if you look at Ross Colton, Matthew Joseph, Anthony Sorelli, Braden Point, Andre Vasilevsky, Nikita Kucherov, Andre Palat, Victor Hedman, Steven Stamkos, Alex Kalorn. Some names, 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 right? And big guys that were important for their championship run. So the Coyotes saying we got to build through the draft, and they're going to have to. The Sharks are building through the draft and development. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you win in the NHL. There's no quick fixes anymore. Everybody who was once great, their window closed. Chicago, Vancouver, um, Sharks. Anaheim, LA, and now they're building and they're all building the right way through the draft. That's how you do it. You got to be patient, but you have to be vigilant. And this is how we're going to do it. And then when the time is right, and this is where the artistry of the general manager comes in, get this guy from there, get that guy from there, sign that free agent. But the big splash free agent, that's that's not going to that's not going to do anything but hit you in the pocketbook and on on the cap. That's how you do it. Thank you for listening on the Sharks Audio Network to The Ball Truth with Ted Ramey and me, Drew Ramey. Talk to you later.